You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Another week, another loss, and uh, this time it's a pretty ugly one to a division rival in a game that the Cincinnati Bengals absolutely needed to win in order to get into the postseason or keep their postseason dream alive this year. And it's looking less and less likely that the Bengals are going to be sniffing the postseason. And it's not just because of the loss, it's because of the loss of certain personnel. And we'll be talking about that on this week's Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hey, everyone. I'm Anthony Cazenza joining you once again this week. I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving despite the result. John Sheeran, who is gearing up for a, a pretty fun weekend, it sounds like. Uh, adult beverage-induced weekend. Uh, it, it is the season, right? I mean, tis the, the, season. the Bengals are losing. It's the holidays. Might as well, might as well get into the the hard eggnog, right? Yeah, yeah. This is December first, is Saturday. We're, we're we're kicking off the right way. Yeah. Well, think. I, I'm I'm awaiting my invitation to your. I want to relive my college days and get. Excited, uh, LA. That, that's a long transit, man. <laughs> well, uh, let me. We'll have to talk about what you get from your Secret Santa exchange this weekend on next week's show because I'm I'm interested and uh, I I want to know what you end up getting. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious. Uh, I'm, I've been on a little bit of a, personally speaking, I've been on a, a dry kick from the adult beverages myself. So uh, I am now I'm kind of getting ready to get back into the the game, if you will, uh, after taking a break for a little bit. So I'm curious to know what you end up getting from your, from your friends, Xmas, your, your, not your friends giving your friends, friendsmas, right? Friendsmas, uh, yeah. All right. Let's get ending. Awesome. Uh, hey, the good news just keeps on coming, John. Uh, not only are the Bengals one and five basically over the past, I mean, yeah, it's technically a month and a half, but including the bye, it's been a pretty awful two-month stretch uh, for the Cincinnati Bengals. Not only are the losses piling up on the team, like I mentioned, a one and five stretch, but personnel losses. And I don't – what was your reaction when Andy Dalton went down? Uh, Obviously, and I want to talk about Billy Price because you you put up a, a good post on CincyJungle.com about Billy Price and his pretty awful performance against Cleveland. But what was your reaction when you saw Andy Dalton kind of grip that hand and he was getting checked down on the sideline and you see him go, were you saying, ah, this is just precautionary and he'll be back? Or were you kind of like, well, it fits into the, the season narrative of all these injuries and especially injuries to, to star players? fits into the narrative of our of our fandom because yeah. he, he got injured on the same exact spot where he was injured in 2015 
I don't know if it was the same exact thumb or not. It, was this throwing hand? It was his throwing yeah. hand, right? Yeah. So it was the same exact thumb. He was looking at it, upset. As soon as he went to the locker room, like, okay, not only is he out for this for, for this game, he's probably going to be out for the next week, but they're probably going to tell us that, you know, you know, it, it, we're, we're not thinking it's that serious. And, like, as soon as he said that, he was destined to go on IR because, you know, of course he is. So every every time someone gets injured, it's always worse than what we expect. And, at, you know, we, 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 we can blame the, the medical staff all we want, but this is just it, – it's just so typical at this point. But – it is kind of weird how Dalton has been so durable for the eight years he's been and the two injuries that he's had are the same exact ones on the thumb and off of free plays off of turnovers. So um, it, it, it sucks for Dalton, obviously, but um, and we may not, we may or may not talk about this, but I don't think it was his last snap as a Bengal. Okay. I now, now all of a sudden we're into Jeff Driscoll territory. And I'm seeing some comments in the live YouTube chat about it. Obviously, he came in, played admirable, uh, you know, had a couple of touchdowns and uh, led a mini comeback. But I think most people kind of figured, even if the Bengals had scored on that one last possession where they ended up turning it over on downs, it still was incredibly unlikely that they were going to come back and do something to win the game or come back and tie it even or anything like that. Uh, played admirable. Was this, or was Driscoll's performance, an actual spotlight into, hey, actually, you know, we actually have seen what this guy can do playing with the starters, even though AJ Green's out and some other guys are out, and he can do some things with, with, you know, instead of playing with the threes and the fours in the preseason, or... Is it simply the Browns were relaxed, they had a gigantic lead, they didn't expect Driscoll to come into the game, and, you know, he, it was just at that point, it was just kind of garbage time, yards and points. God, you just saying the Browns were relaxed and garbage time is referring to the Browns is so, so awkward to hear but yeah not, exactly. not really any other way to put it though yeah right? no like like this is just new territory for them and definitely new territory territory for the browns playing the entire second half with a comfortable lead and they didn't care if just if jeff driscoll is going to throw for 150 yards run for uh, a decent amount and a touchdown you know I, I think we all i mean i mean this is kind of this is kind of why most of us wanted driscoll to beat matt barkley in the preseason for that backup spot because he has more natural talent you know he had that history had that pedigree as a high school player going into the college ranks as a guy with, you know, natural, you know, talent and, you know, high athletic upside and all that stuff. And that's kind of why you want a guy like that as your backup to a more limited quarterback. But I think we're, I think we're on the cusp of seeing something similar to the McCarron Dalton relationship where, you know, it, 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 Driscoll can do some nice things, you know, here and there, but his consistency, his consistency is going to be all over the place. And at the end of the day, you know, even in garbage time, he still produced at a certain rate that Dalton you know, struggled mightily throughout the day with a limited receiving group. And I, I just think it's going to be very similar to what we're going to see for the rest of the season. And we're going to start an interesting dialogue about what is the relationship between talent and production with quarterbacks, specifically Andy Dalton and his backups, and how replaceable Dalton is as a talent and how you can manufacture that production with maybe a less consistent guy, but he might give you some more upside in other specific areas and what the relationship between the two of them are like. And I think it's going to be really interesting now with Driscoll, who, in, in my opinion, is a better backup quarterback than Andrew McCarron and how he kind of handles this whole situation. So that's an interesting point. And, I, you know, talking about Driscoll 
Um, just talking about him and what you're saying about, you know, up and down play a little bit, some errant throws. I mean, even the two completions, I think he had to out and Tate. Tate had to really adjust and, and come down with the ball. Other other throws were going really high to other people. Um, so, I mean, there were, even though he made some nice throws and he, he fit some, uh, I think it was the touchdown pass to Boyd. That was an mm-hmm. excellent throw. And, and, that, and that was the throw that, that Goodberry was talking about. That was the throw that Dalton didn't make like early in the game. It was like the exact same route concept. And I just think that like, like for that specific moment, that's where people were like, that's what McCarron can do that Dalton can't, even though McCarron wasn't as good of a quarterback. But it's just those, those little moments where Dalton will, will hesitate and maybe a guy with, 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 who's playing with less, less to lose won't, be as hesitant and that's kind of what Driscoll did there so we're going to talk I, I want to talk about that in just a second in terms of Andy Dalton where he's at with the injuries where the Bengals are going into 2019 and then obviously his backups and what you're talking about in terms of you know hey some people might be actually excited to see Driscoll we'll talk about that in just a second usually we save listener questions to the end we're going to try and get some in during the um during the course of the show. So if you want to text or uh, if you want to text us during the show, 949-542-6241, give us a text or you can call us towards the end of the show, 949-542-6241. We'll open the phone lines for calls at the end of the show, but taking texts, uh, taking questions in the live YouTube chat throughout the show, as well as the thread on cincyjungle.com that we have going and on Twitter at Bengals OBI. So um, we've already got a couple of a couple of them queued up. The reason I bring that up now, not only to let our listeners know they can send in questions, but we I did get one on Twitter that I thought was kind of interesting regarding Driscoll, and I wanted to get your thoughts uh, before we talk a little bit more about Andy Dalton's future. Uh, this was from... Let me look at look back up at it. It was from Jesse Ross, um, and Jesse Ross put me in the uh, the echelon of the Joe Goodberries and Rocky Boymans. So hey, Rocky Boyman got in that. Rocky Boyman got in got in that. Yeah. So he he said, uh, "I'm basically I'm bummed the season has turned the way it has. I am, however, excited to see Jeff Driscoll get the start. One thing that stands out is Driscoll seems to look for plays." not players like Dalton. Uh, I love Dalton, but sometimes I feel like he goes for players over plays. And then he kind of continued on saying, uh, have you guys seen this in any film reviewing you've done? It's just a hunch I get from watching. And I would love to see if anyone has found this. The, the tape is limited. The film is limited of what we have on Driscoll. It's been a lot of preseason stuff where he has kind of done the running plays not so much the the big passing plays. We got more film on him this week showing some nice stuff. Um, we've seen Dalton at times when A.J. Green is in the lineup, when Tyler Reifert is in the lineup, he focuses on them. And when they're not, the results aren't always that pretty. So uh, in in a very limited bit that we have from Driscoll, what, what, what do you see there? Is there validity to that question? Yeah, I think it's just a question of going back to that, like, just overall upside as a tackler and I guess if you want to say playmaker, I think it's very similar to what the Ravens have with Joe Flacco and Mark Jackson, whereas Flacco might be the more consistent passer on all three levels of the field. Uh, he might be the one to make the, the right decision rather than like the, you know, the, like the safe decision rather than going for, you know, like, like a tough play downfield and play coverage. Whereas Lamar Jackson for that scenario is the guy who can, 
you know, extend plays in pocket and not be as timid to make those, you know, big time throws. And I think that's basically what the Bengals have with Dalton Driscoll, where you have Dalton as a guy who plays it safe. You know, he, he, he you know, make sure if those first two reads aren't there, he makes sure he has a escape route out of the pocket to try to salvage something to his check down or whatever. Whereas with Driscoll, you know, he can stand in there for a little bit longer, maybe shuffle his feet a little bit to kind of reset. And will sometimes, you know, take the chance on those tight window throws and trust his receivers a little bit more. And I think that's where he was talking about trying to go for the big play rather than forcing it to a certain player. Now, obviously, 29 attempts and uh, garbage time against the Browns defense isn't a lot to go off of. But I think, you know, going back to the McCarron thing, it's kind of similar to where they're they're, they're just kind of those types of quarterbacks who are just a little bit inconsistent with their arm talent. They might not be able to be completely accurate and we definitely saw accuracy issues with Driscoll and I don't think you can compare his accuracy to Dalton but at the same time in certain scenarios you would rather sometimes take those wild and errant throws if you can in the same sense get a net positive on some more big time throws that can maybe sway the outcome of the game and I think it, it, if the Bengals can somehow manage to keep Driscoll in structure where you know in, in the early parts of the game and kind of let him loose towards the end if they're still in the game they can find some success with them in that sense. Yeah, and the other thing that we have to you have to understand too is that Driscoll has come in in kind of low pressure situations. Yeah. Uh, the Saints game, the Browns game, the Bengals were way behind in both of those contests. Uh, he had a nice throw to Ross in the in the Saints game down the sideline, um, kind of just winging it around the field against Cleveland, just trying to make things happen. So the pressure has kind of been off Driscoll in some senses as he's come into games so far this season. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how he reacts, how he plays against a a Denver defense. That's pretty good. It's got a good pass rush Um, and playing from snap one uh, tie game zero zero in what he does. Uh, You know, if he's, if he may turn into a guy that under, a little bit more of a microscope, he may turn into a guy who looks to tuck and run far more than he did in in this in this mop up duty type of thing. So, I, I think once you get a full games film going from you know starting zero zero all the way to uh, three zeros on the clock on the game clock, um, I think we'll get a better read on you know if he really is truly looking to diagnose some things. Uh, from a play standpoint, as opposed to, you know, targeting specific players, it does seem like (laughs) just as things go with the Cincinnati Bengals this year, it does seem like, of course, in his first start, Andy Dalton is now gone and AJ Green now in the game, uh, you know, as the season kind of gets out of hand, he appears to be coming back this week. So that's going to be very interesting to see uh, how that dynamic works out. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. And uh, you can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, CincyJungle.com, and, of course, on YouTube. And you can tune in every week live for every episode on YouTube and on CincyJungle.com. John, I, I do want to go back a second and talk about Andy Dalton versus some of these backups. Now, for a long time, when the Bengals couldn't get over the playoff hump, uh, when when there was the good Andy versus bad Andy, if you remember that argument, um, a lot of people were clamoring for AJ McCarron. Uh, AJ McCarron did have 
the Bengals pretty close to winning one of their most important postseason games, one of the most important games they've ever played a couple years ago in that 2015 wild card against Pittsburgh. He didn't play all that well, but he did lead them back at the end, and they were in position to win that game. They did not. You talked about, you know, Driscoll and McCarron and how, you know, the the chasm between their difference in play is debatable, mm-hmm. right? And now the Dalton's on the bench. I, I guess I'm, I'm c- kind of struggling a little bit as to where to direct this question specifically, but I guess does that come into focus more now with Driscoll in the lineup, the Bengals potentially looking to hit the reset button in 2019? Does that maybe become more apparent in terms of that chasm not really being that big between their starting quarterback and their backup quarterback. I mean, we could sit here next week and be like, oh, God, Driscoll's not very good. Oh, yeah, um, sure. Uh, but I, I think that that's a pertinent conversation topic to have. With Dalton out, his backup coming in, a guy who played pretty well last week, and then now we don't know what's on tap for the 2019 offseason. Yeah, so we talk about, or at least this year, we've talked about j- just with without his weapons – Bill Lazor's game plan and, and scheme in particular is pretty bland as the game goes on. It's pretty predictable. Defenses can pick up on it. But at the same time, you know, uh, an Andy Dalton-led offense has historically, or not historically, for the past eight years, it, it's been pretty pretty simplified for him. And I think that's always been something constant w- with Dalton is that he, he, he's in a pretty simplified offense, you know, one or two reads and, you know, not 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 really comparable to that of like Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers or, or, you know, any other t- more talented quarterback that can take on that kind of things. So when you have Adrian McCarron, when you have Jeff, Jeff Driscoll kind of come into the game, you kind of notice that things don't fall off the cliff as much as you would expect from a, a starting quarterback to a backup quarterback, because the system is already in place for a, a, a more simplified, you know, in, intellect, in, intelligent, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It's in a more simplified kind of style of offense and whatnot. And that's kind of why, you know, McCarron had similar production. The production fall off wasn't that drastic when Dalton went out. But obviously you saw the, the, the gaps in talent kind of take its toll, you know, in terms of just winning games and whatnot. And that's why, you know, they, they only finished two and two to end that 2015 season. Obviously they lost the playoff game because McCarron wasn't that good of a quarterback and Driscoll's not that good of a quarterback. But I think we're, we're just going to see, you know, the production, especially compared to the last three weeks where Dalton hasn't really done anything of, of, of substance without AJ Green in the lineup. With AJ Green in the lineup now, with Driscoll getting that extra weapon, I think we're going to see, you know, basically similar production. And then people are going to kind of talk themselves into, you know, is this the guy to build around to the future? And I don't think the Bengals are thinking about that at all, to be honest with you, because that because we kind of we almost thought that for a second with AJ McCarron, and then they realized they were willing to trade him away for a second and third round pick because. You know they, they they still value Dalton and, and what his contract is at this point. So I think they still have their mindset about Dalton being the quarterback, the starting quarterback for now and into the the, the near future. And they just kind of want to see well they well, they have to see what they have in Driscoll now. But I just think we're going to see a similar relationship between player and scheme and how that certain you know drop off isn't going to be as big as we might expect it to be. Well, regardless. Driscoll's getting the what seems like the start or the starts for the rest of the season. The Bengals signed Tom Savage and I think 
by now we've, we've seen enough of Tom Savage to know that he's not a viable guy yeah. uh, in the NFL. So, I mean, that's where they're going at this point. AJ Green, uh, admirably. I mean, he could have, he could have hung it up if he wanted to, he seems like he's eager to come back and play and um, other guys are, are doing and saying the same, that this team isn't dead for most intents and purposes. It, Playoffs seem to be far, far out of reach for this team at this point. So, uh, but we'll have to, we'll get to see Driscoll with Joe Mixon, Giovanni Bernard, AJ Green, um, not without his, uh, the team's two top tight ends, but CJ Ozama's no slouch. Uh, and then, you know, Boyd's been, been playing pretty well. So, I mean, he's got some weapons to work with. We'll see what he can do with that. Probably going for the rest of the season uh, now that Andy Dalton is on IR. This is a nice segue into our next segment, John. And for those for those who have been following this show or listening to this show for a while, you probably remember back in the February months and I think it was February or March, something something like that, where we, me and our other co-host Scott Schultze, uh, before you joined the program, John, we talked about how the Bengals can rebound or what they need to do to fix things for 2018. And some of those topics were, uh, you know, be aggressive in the draft and move up for impact players, be aggressive in free agency, commit to a quarterback, whether it's a rookie guy and try and find a transcendent talent there or surround any Dalton with weapons, um, you know, find an identity, all these kinds of things. And all of those are cataloged in our past episodes. So you can, you can download those or check those out. Um, the reason I bring this up is because now that discussion probably needs to start being talked about again for 2019, uh, unless something very drastic happens here. I mean, the Bengals basically need to go four and one or five and zero oh in order to make the postseason at this point. And that, that seems highly unlikely, especially the way they've been playing lately. So I guess now is what, what, what we should do is start with addressing the problems. So what are the problems? What are the biggest issues with the Cincinnati Bengals? And then, you know, we could probably come up with some remedies down the road for that, but I, I think easily everybody goes, Oh, it's ownership. Oh, it's the co it's, it's coaching and, and all of that. I, I, yes, but let's be realistic. Ownership's not going to change. They may tweak some of their approaches or anything, but Mike Brown's the owner and he's going to give power to his family. If, and when he steps down and or passes away, um, Marvin Lewis, we don't know that he's going to be fired. It seems unlikely just given the past history there. So that kind of stuff aside, um, there are other issues to look at, right? Mm. Quarterback, quarterback play, defensive play, coaching by the assistants, depth, uh, and, and obviously, you know, the inbred excuse of injuries to this team. And the team has 12, I think, I think it was 12 major players or, or major contributors on IR. Uh, last week, you saw Cordy Glenn out and Jake Fisher ended up leaving. Then you had, you had Cedric Abwehi in there. Bottom line is this team is, is reeling because of the injuries. You have done a little bit of research on that. You, I, I don't know. You're, I told you to surprise me before we went on the air. Mm. So uh, I don't know if your research is going to say, yes, the injuries are 
truly a major, major factor as to why the Bengals are struggling, especially after that four and one start, or we should be looking elsewhere. So I looked at every team's um, injured reserve uh, list or just how many players each team has on injured reserve right now. The Bengals are at 12. And as of right now, there are four teams with more than 12 uh, players on IR. Oakland, Indianapolis, Jacksonville, Washington. Washington, Jacksonville have 14. Indianapolis and Oakland have 13. And the average, um, the average amount of injured reserve players per team is 8.9. So basically, I split the league into teams with nine or more players in IR and, pl- and teams with eight or less. And what I found was the average uh, winning percentage for teams with at least nine players in IR was 49.8%. And the average win percentage of teams with less than nine players in IR was 50.3%. So it's basically split in half almost equally. And the the following teams, I'm, I'm going to list off, have at least nine players on injury reserve. Washington, Indianapolis, Kansas City, Baltimore, New Orleans, New England, Pittsburgh, Carolina. They all have at least 10 players on IR. Mm. Seattle and the Rams and the Chargers and the or yeah, yeah, Seattle and the Rams have 9 and 8 and everything below that is the, the the teams who are relatively healthy compared to the rest of the league. So what I found was yeah, yes, Cincinnati is pretty pretty unhealthy when considering, you know, where they are the rest of the league, but teams like Kansas City, New Orleans, New England, and Pittsburgh, they're right behind them in in terms of players on injured reserve, but they're not having any trouble winning. So I and this is something that I think you and I talked about, you know, when when, when predicting how the season is going to go, is that the Bengals typically deal with injuries basically every year. They're always they always seem to be atop of the 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 the, the, the teams with the most players on injured reserve, the teams with with, with the most players with, with games missed. But we we we, we kind of we kind of talked about how they just don't have the depth at those critical positions to kind of overcome those certain injuries. And as we've seen around the league, other teams are still winning, even though they're losing major talent for, for the entire season. And yes, you know, the, the Andy Dolan is one of those guys. Carl Austin is one of those guys. Preston Brown's one of those guys. They're, they're, they are major players, but again, and this is, this is a, cliche, a cliche that most of us say, but every team deals with injuries. And there are plenty of examples from this year where teams are just as in, as unhealthy as the Bengals are, but they're they're not making an excuse. They're in the playoff on, and the and the Bengals aren't. So I I get the injury excuse is something that's common, that's something that people want to point to, but the the, the rest of the league is it's just it's not it, it it's not as obvious as that in my, in my opinion. Yeah, a number of those teams it sounded like are are at the top. You know, you mentioned New England, Pittsburgh. You know, a number of teams are right at the top. A couple of others are middle of the pack, but still in the hunt. You mentioned Washington and others. Um, so that's that's really interesting. And I think, you know, and I personally, yes, injuries are an excuse. And, and obviously, you know, um, but I, I also kind of think in, in one way, it's it's a weak-minded excuse. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think that, you know, if you are, you, you looked at you look at New England, right? New England a handful of years back, I think it was 08. Uh, Tom Brady gets lost, I think, in the first or second game of the year with a knee injury. Matt Castle comes in, 
and still leads him to a 10 win season. I think it was a combination of Matt Castle, maybe even Doug Flutie was on that team. Uh, and they, they still won 10 games. I think they just missed the playoffs. They did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but Matt Castle made himself a lot of money and, but the Patriots still proved that they could get 10 wins without arguably the greatest quarterback to ever play the game out of the lineup. Mm-hmm. And the guy who was behind him and playing was a guy who didn't really take any snaps in college because he's behind Carson Palmer at USC. So, mm-hmm. I mean, this, this wasn't a guy that had a lot of experience and, and was a highly touted guy. So my point is, is I, yes, it's an excuse, but it's a weak minded excuse. And I think that that research tells, tells me a lot uh, about where we can, and, and there's a number of areas you could point to now outside of the injuries that are plaguing the Bengals, right? I mean, you could look at high draft picks not pulling their weight lately. Uh, that, that 2015 draft class with those two top tackles, that absolutely destroyed this team. Yeah. And, it, and it destroyed this team not only because those two have not pan, panned out, Cedric Abwehi and Jake Fisher, but it destroyed them because they put their eggs in the, that basket and they let Andrew Whitworth walk. Um, they also let, you know, if, if they thought at some point that one of those guys could become a guard, they let Kevin Zeitler walk. Um, and, and so that was a twofold thing. And it's not just that draft class. John Ross has come around this year, which is nice to see. He's got the five. I think he grabbed his fifth touchdown catch this last week. Mm-hmm. He struggled last year. That put the, put them behind the eight ball a little bit last year. Um, so draft picks and recent draft picks you know, 2014, they, they grabbed Darquez Denard. They, they could have moved up theoretically and grabbed a CJ Mosley if they wanted to do that and, and cure the linebacker problem. I mean, you can, you can go round and round about the draft picks, but there's also then John, this feeds into the team mantra of relying on the draft and not so much free agency. Mm-hmm. And I've said that I I've said this ad nauseum now, now, you know, when you're not striking on these high picks in the draft and that's where you're relying on building your team, it's kind of a house of cards. Oh, exactly. And I think you alluded to a perfect point when talking about the Patriots and, and even the Eagles of last year because they lost Carson Wentz and Jason Peters and they still all went, went, to, went on to win the Super Bowl with Nick Foles, a quarterback. Yeah. It, it, it's yeah. the, it's the, if you don't have – if you're the Bengals and you don't have, like, top-tier depth at those important positions – it's up to the coaching staff. It's up to those guys to get those backups ready to play because, again, every team is going to deal with these injuries. But it's up to it's usually the it's usually the teams who have coaches who can put their players in the best position to succeed, no matter the circumstance. And as we've seen, injuries just destroy the Bengals because they just can't overcome them because they, they don't have they don't have the coaches to get those depth players and ready to succeed. And if they don't have you know guys like you know backups who are drafted late who go on to be starters. If they just have, you know, middle of the road backups who are just nothing more than that, they can't be relied on under this coaching staff to to be molded into something that can compensate for a serious injury. Like Carl Lawson gets injured, the Bengals pass rush besides Carl Stone up at the edge is non-existent. Guys like Jordan Willis and Sam Hubbard aren't stepping aren't stepping up consistently enough. The linebacker depth is just putrid, obviously. We haven't seen nearly any development from those guys. And you know, it's just those. It's just those certain injuries and those certain position groups that just constantly plague them. If some, if a key player goes down, they're just basically just they're they're, they're screwed because we, we we've seen that they just don't have the, the the coaching talent to just elevate those mid tier players into you know competent guys that can come in at, at a time's notice. 
So let me let me go back. I did this thought just struck me, um, and I'll have to look back just to make sure I'm correct. But the 2015 draft class for the Cincinnati Bengals: Cedric Abwehi, mm-hmm. Cedric Abwehi was their first round pick. Jake Fisher was their second round pick. Tyler Croft and PJ Dawson were their third round picks. One of those guys was act, only one of those guys was actually able to play this past Sunday for the Bengals. And that was Cedric Abwehi, who was basically their third on the depth chart <laughs> offensive tackle. So not only did that specific draft with the tackles kill you, but then, you know, you look at the third round pick in Dawson, a linebacker who should be starting for this team. You know, you draft a guy in the third round, a linebacker a couple of years ago, that should be a guy who should be a heavy rotator or a starter on your team. Malik Jefferson this year, another third round pick they use on a linebacker. They refuse to play him, even though that group is continuing to struggle. They refuse to give him time to see what he has and if he can provide something there. So it's just this, these examples that pile up in the draft um, really in recent years after, you know, you get excited about, hey, they drafted Giovanni Bernard, a, a guy who could help him. Hey, they drafted Tyler Eifert, a guy who could help him in these positions that they needed to, to bolster. And now, uh, you know, injuries, ineffectiveness, bad picks, all that stuff has has plagued this team. And, and it's, it's hurting them. It's hurting mm-hmm. them. It's hurting their depth. And I, I think it's a direct result. Now there's other stuff you mentioned, I th- and we will talk about this. We'll, you know, we'll continue to talk about this throughout future episodes, but I think coaching, we can talk about a lack of creativity. Obviously I saw someone, I think it was Austin Tran or somebody in the, uh, in the YouTube chat. Yeah. It was Austin Tran. Hugh Jackson needs to be offensive coordinator in 19. Yeah. I mean, he was pretty creative when he was there. Um, we can talk about how Bill Lazor's not that creative at times and abandons the right, but it's, I think you hit the nail on the head, John, when you talked about a lack of player development with the coaching staff. And I think that, yeah, these guys should come in They're They've been brought to the pros for a reason. They're incredible athletes, but there needs to be continued development. And we're not seeing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and yeah, no, and that's exactly, that is exactly the point because like, we talked about how how this team can make a deep postseason run if everything kind of goes to plan, but it just that, that's just not a thing that happens in the NFL. You're 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 gonna you're gonna endure injuries. You're gonna have to overcome overcome stumbles in the road. Whether that be Carl Lawson is is missing half the year, whether that's AJ Green missing a whole month, and it, it's up to those coaches to get those guys ready to play. And as, as we've seen, you know the. In the preseason and training camp, we rave about the depth of this team because they're they're performing, you know, without pads and in the preseason and they're making strides and we we think they're going to be able to take that next step and provide solid depth. But when it actually matters, and you know, the, the coaches have more time to get these guys ready to play, and injuries happen because they always do because this is the Bengals. It just it, it just doesn't happen. And like you said, when you put all your eggs in one basket with, with, with the draft, and then you have years like 2014, 2015. That's that's the cause that causes the monumental downturn of an entire franchise. Because if you have a mass exodus of of players that that you have successfully developed leave in free agency, and then you don't hit on those draft picks immediately, you know what is left of your roster other than just below average players that you that you proven that you can't develop. It, and if you just miss on those picks, you're you're just sol. Yep, uh, I'm looking at. Uh... 
some things. Uh, Al, Al Mack too said the Ross hate is baffling to me. I, I agree this year. I agree. I, th- I think he's taken some nice steps uh, the past few weeks. You have to understand he doesn't even have a full season's worth of NFL games under his belt yet. Uh, and he's, there's still some work to do. He had a bad drop last week, but he was wide open on a bomb that Dalton missed. Uh, he did have another touchdown catch. So he's, you know, he's doing some things. Uh, want to see a tiny bit more out of him, but uh, you know, I, I think he's coming along, which is good to see. Anthony Hart says, you don't think it's time for Marvin to go yet. Yeah, well, yeah, but again, uh, coach. And then I, I saw something else. Uh, Ain't got Nathan says, the coaching is 100% holding this roster back. Uh, yeah, I mean, and like I said, when we started talking about the main issues to this team, the easy places to point are Mike Brown and Marvin Lewis, obviously. And and it starts at the top, obviously. We, I mean, we, we know that. But this team, we kind of got to be realistic a little bit with our expectations and uh, with Clearly, this team. Yes. Because this is a team that is slow moving to change. This is a team that is not – very modern in the way it operates. It is not, it does not do a lot of the things that most professional franchises do. It does not do or offer a lot of the amenities and things that most professional franchises offer indoor practice facility, hint, hint. Uh, So we kind of got, I mean, for John and I here in this little hypothetical game we're playing, we got to kind of play the cards we're dealt. Um, Yes. We could say new owner, let's get a new owner, but that just doesn't, normally happen um more likely is a change at head coach but as we've seen with marvin lewis that is also uh something that just does not occur very often so uh you know we're kind of playing the cards we're dealt here a little bit and and pointing out some things but we'll continue to talk about this as the Bengals season degresses progresses whatever into the offseason uh unless somehow they pull out a miracle and end the season in a similar way that they started it and sneak into the postseason. We'll see. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Art19, CincyJungle.com, and YouTube. We're going to get to some listener questions in just a little bit, so you can text us uh, or call us, 949-542-6241 is the line. You can leave your, your comments or questions in the live YouTube chat. Or you can tweet us at Bengals OBI on Twitter. You can leave a comment in the live comment thread on CincyJungle.com as well. Before we get to listener questions, though, John, let's talk about the Bengals, believe it or not, do have an upcoming game this week. <laughs> and uh, before, before last week and what happened with Cleveland, this seemed like one of those winnable games. Tough, but winnable, right? Um I, <laughs> given what happened with Hugh Jackson and the Browns, and that's that that probably could have taken up a whole episode of the podcast in itself. But it's just like why why even pour salt in that wound? But I think we can kind of say, well, familiarity is a little overrated in it's at times in the NFL. Um, and and maybe I, or you could kind of flip it on the other way and say actually it is because Cleveland absolutely took it to the Bengals and Hugh Jackson's there, so maybe they. I don't know. Maybe they looked at some ten- tendencies that Hugh likes and went after it. Who knows? At any rate, there are some fami- there is some familiarity here. Adam Jones was with the Broncos. He uh, has since been released. 
Demata Demata Pecco is on the team. Uh, he is playing for them, and then of course the head coach Vance Joseph was a former assistant under Marvin Lewis. And uh, Denver's an interesting team, a hard team to figure out, kind of like the Bengals this year, in that they're five and six. They've had some up and downs, uh, but they beat the Steelers last week. I believe that one was in Denver. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they beat the Steelers last week. Now they come to Cincinnati. Uh, what, what do you think now that now that we've talked about Driscoll and all of that, what do you think about Case Keenum and uh, the direction that he has this team going? Uh, obviously, I don't think he's a long-term guy for Denver in terms of, you know, a 10-year franchise quarterback guy, but he could be a stopgap type of player for them, two, three-year guy. I don't know. Your take on him. Yeah, I, I think most of us saw this as a winnable game because it was Case Keenum who's the quarterback opposite of Dalton. Now that you have Driscoll, the major unknown, that that whole that whole bullet point is kind of you know up in the air at this point. We don't we don't know if who has the quarterback advantage in this one because looking at the paper, looking at the stats, looking at the tape, Case Keenum isn't particularly good at least in this Denver Broncos offense. And for the first time, it seemed like they kind of realized that, and they did what I think a lot of Bengals fans wanted the Bengals offense to transform into, and that was just kind of relying on the run game. And they have one of the more successful running games in the NFL led by both Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman, both rookies, and kind of took the pressure off Keenum to get Keenum into the red zone where he can do damage, and that's where he scored those two touchdowns against the Steelers. Like That's a winning formula against the Steelers, and that's something the Bengals haven't figured out in 16 years. That's besides the point. Case Keenum, you know, he he's obviously okay in structure, isn't going to make a lot of great downfield throws, but as I say this, I believe he torched the Bengals defense last year when he was with the Vikings at home up in Minnesota. So there's obviously that factor. And then you have the factor of, you know, you talk about familiarity, you know, Denver is one of those teams that, you know, kind of like the Bills just play the Bengals seemingly every year. And for the most part, Denver just has kind of had the Bengals, you know, number of late, you know, Trevor Simeon came into Paul Brown stadium threw for four touchdowns. Um, they had that crazy um, uh, back-to-back back-to-back years of Monday night games. Uh, one at Cincinnati, one on the road to Denver. Both kind of came down to the wire. They split that. So Denver is a hard team to figure out for the Bengals. But you know, Case Keenum could kind of be the difference if Jeff Driscoll fails. But I think Denver has a formula now on offense where they know what they have in Keenum. They know what they have in the running backs, and they're kind of utilizing both of them to to their advantage. I think that's something that the Bengals defense needs to figure out. Uh, we've, there is uh, an issue an issue coming up for the Bengals that appears to be um, not uh, not a good matchup for the Bengals. And usually we talk about how you know oh this you know this game's going to feature a lot of good pass rushers. Well, it definitely does for Denver. Yeah. Uh, Bradley Chubb, the first round pick and Vaughn Miller have combined for 20 sacks this season, 11 for Miller, nine for Chubb. And, you know, usually for the Bengals, we talk about Geno Atkins and Carlos Dunlap, uh, maybe even Carl, Carl Lawson in there, but I guess let's start with the Bengals side of things on that. Those two guys, Atkins and Dunlap have completely disappeared. And I think that they will be a key in order to, contain Keenum and, and force him into bad throws. They have completely disappeared. I think Atkins has one sack in the past five games. Dunlap maybe has one, hasn't had a sack in three games. So your take on what's going on with them. And uh, obviously I think we can agree they, they should have a big impact either way on this game. So PFF did a thing about Atkins and the perception of what, of what 
he is as a player right now and how he's still like top five in terms of win rate for defensive uh, tackles amongst the league. He's still like in the upper echelon in terms of pressures and all that stuff. And that was fine. I think for most people when he was finishing to the quarterback and that was also when, you know, the Bengals defensive line was at its peak when they, when they were at pretty full strength. Now a lot of injuries have occurred. Glasgow who was having a decent year was out. Obviously we talked about loss and getting hurt and no one else around both of those two have stepped up. So it, it looks like, you know, one of those like like a 2014 season when all the pressure was on Atkins and Dunlap to make to finish those plays. And they've been extremely close in, in, in past weeks. But as we've seen, the Bengals defense, you know, allows a lot of space early. And that's why quarterbacks get the ball so quickly. They can't finish the rushes. They can't get there in time. No one else is really stepping up on the Bengals defensive line. And it's, and it's hurting not only their numbers, but it's hurting Atkins and Dunlap's, you know, o- 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 overall, you know, perception about, you know, kind of what their production is at this point. And obviously I'm not, you know, excusing Atkins for not finishing those sacks, but I think we're seeing the same Gino there, but he's just, you know, the, the his overall environment and surroundings have obviously dissipated to a point where he can't at this point do it all by himself because unfortunately he isn't Aaron Donald and he isn't, you know, a spring chicken anymore. He's, he's 30 years old. So at, I, I do think that in a sense he definitely needs to step up, but I do think that we might be giving him a little bit too much flack if we look, you know, a little closer at the situation. Yeah, and then on the other side, I mentioned Miller and Chubb. Uh, the Bengals are. Uh, you, I think, did a, a, a post on Cincy Jungle about the examining the drop off of Cordy uh, from Cordy Glenn at left tackle. Um, so obviously there's an there's an issue there. I'm looking at the at least our most in, recent injury report. Um, Cordy Glenn did not practice as of Wednesday. Uh, so and then uh, Jake Fisher did not either. So now you're probably looking at Bobby Hart and Cedric Abwehi against Miller and Chubb. Uh, some people <laughs> some people thought that Abwehi did okay last week. I personally did not. I mean, I saw a, I think there was a, a let up of a sack and then a false start or so, or something like that from him. Um, I, any any chance Driscoll can survive without Cordy Glenn in the lineup? Well, that's the good thing because Driscoll can run. And I, I, so, yeah, I think that's what a commenter said. Like, it's a good thing that Driscoll can run because he's going to be facing in back-to-back weeks Chubb and Miller and then Nick Bosa and Melvin Ingram for the Chargers, which is yeah. going to be it may, maybe even worse for them. But obvi- um, I, I guess by Abwehi's standards, he played okay, considering he was going up against Miles Garrett for most of the game and gave up, I think, one sack, a, a handful of pressures and like 40 snaps. So by his standards, you know, for not playing for the entire year, and just coming off and you know being the player that he is, he played okay, but that's extremely relative to okay. He still had plenty of you know whiffs and you know got got destroyed off bull rushes. But and that, that that's scary because Chubb, you know, the, the, for the most part of how he wins, he wins a lot with power. It it, it, it kind of looks like a young Khalil Mack out there where he kind of just does what he wants because you know he can just force his way through a, a, a guy with, with with either strong hands or a, a powerful low base, and that's. Obviously, you know, the the perfect nightmare when you're talking about a boy who gives up his chest so easily and can't really anchor. So I think Chubb knows what he needs to do against the boy. and the boy, he just has to hope that he, for some reason, uses a lot of speed rushes where he can just kind of push them to the outside. But if Chubb's smart, he's going to be attacking inside for those inside rushes. And Driscoll needs to needs to be constantly aware that he's going to have to step up and potentially evade a, a very hungry Bradley Chubb. 
Yeah. Um, we've got a, a call on the line for our next segment. So I want to get to that in just a second. Obviously those are some of the keys to the game. Philip Lindsay having a good rookie season as a multidimensional guy, he's going to present a problem for the Bengals. Um, you know, usually I say, Hey, what's your prediction? And we talk about it, but I mean, it's almost like at this point, is this going to be a blowout loss or is it going to be somewhat close for the Bengals? I mean, I, <laughs> any other way to put the prediction at this point? Yeah. Like just uh, throughout the season, I haven't predicted like a, like a big loss. Like I think for the chiefs game predicted like a 10 point loss, like last week or, or, or like a couple weeks before the, the saints predicted like a seven point loss. I went on a Denver radio show this morning and predicted like a 21 to 13 loss. But every day, every time I do that, some, somehow like, like the things that I don't think are going to bite the Bengals in the butt end up do. So it's completely possible that case Keenum comes into town and throws the three touchdowns and Philip Lindsay does what we expect him to do. And it kind of is reminiscent of that 2016 game where the Broncos just will seem so much clearly talented, more, more talented than the Bengals are at, at this point in time. And it's kind of like both teams are, you know, they're, they're, they're like intersecting on a graph, but going on different slopes, right? They're, they're right at five and six, but Denver has, is coming off of two wins. Bengals are coming off of three losses. And I think that momentum factor, even though the Bengals are playing at home, kind of matters in the same way that it mattered last week. So, uh, yes, I think this is a loss, and I, I think now the more I think about it, it's probably going to be at least a two-touchdown loss. And e- even if Dr- Driscoll does some, does some good things, I just think that the Broncos are just more properly built right now and aren't dealing with as many injuries, and I just think that like that their talent is going to prevail probably early. I agree. Uh, hard to disagree with you. Hard to disagree with you, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, unfortunately, this team has just not given us a lot of um, a lot of things to be confident about uh, in their ability to get a win and, and turn this season around. It's just been a tale of two seasons. But we do have a a call on the line from good friend Terrell. Uh, Terrell, are you there? Uh, good. I'm doing good. Uh, well, as good as can be, yeah, I guess. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know y'all just been saying that we got basically we did get blowed up by the Browns and feel like everything crashing down on us though. But uh, I mean, if I it might everything I have to turn around sometime soon though. I mean, you know, the, the same old things with the coach. Um, I mean. There's some downside things with, uh, with Dalton and all that, though. But I was going to say, it's, uh, if Driscoll go at least four and two or three and whatever, I mean, you got to at least bring me back at the back up. I mean, I feel like, I mean, he, uh, if he brings some type of life or something, and maybe he even um, turn, um, turn um, John Rock into a uh, – I, 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 maybe not a slot because I don't think he's too little for that. Maybe uh, maybe outside and uh, work on his round tree because I feel like he could be somewhat like the uh, uh, the uh, dang, the guy over uh, with the Cowboys. Yeah, I can't work out uh, his name right now. Hey, but, off, anyway, uh, and I was at the game when he did come, when Dressel did come in the game. He uh, receivers they was actually trying to uh, get open. They was actually trying to. Uh, make a nice crisp route, and I and I seen it, and I uh, and I feel like they was trying to carry me because I guess he carried him a little bit, and you know, uh, Mixon, he uh he he played hard, and I just feel like uh he, he 
with Marvin being the nice guy, you know he got those same original nice guys and all that. And uh, I can go in a whole Yeah, so real quick before we get you off the air here, Terrell, if Driscoll ends up playing pretty well, the Bengals get some wins, and and I think this is going to be a topic of conversation in a future episode between John and I, but do you think it's time for the Bengals to move on a quarterback next year? Uh, I think so, because not even because of Driscoll. It's not even because of Driscoll. It's because you can see the type of ways of – quarterbacks that's going on right now with just not even a tad a little bit of speed and it's nice little, it's, uh, it might be a, a guy that got speed but he got a little bit more action might be a guy that got a little power in his uh, throat he got a little bit more speed in his uh his legs. I mean just with the, the, the talent with the house with the uh, college and everything it just uh, seems like a different way and you know the older guys again it's probably <laughs> Get weeded out a couple, four or five years, and also, uh, I, uh, Jackson, he must be really disrespecting things, but with with nothing, nothing doing, getting on that ball, and he ain't trying to push him out the way, and nothing. I would have, I would have tagged that ball right behind <laughs> Yep. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Terrell. We're gonna we're gonna get to another call. Appreciate you holding on and and your comments, buddy. All right. That was uh, that was Terrell on the on the line there. So uh, we've got another call, John. Um, let's get to this one real quick. Uh, oh, that one cut off. All right. Uh, if you call just a second ago, you can call back in. Um, very interesting conversation from from Terrell there. Uh, any thoughts on that, John? I think. He, I mean, I know he, I know he touched on a lot. He touched on a lot, but I guess we kind of finished with. Um making Boyd or trying to get Boyd to stay here. And I wonder what his relationship is with AJ Green, who just kind of went off um, uh, j j j just today on Wednesday about his aspirations of staying with the Bengals. And I think that's an interesting dynamic that not a lot of receivers would be so, you know, honest in that situation. I wonder if Boyd's kind of wired the same way. And if, it, and if, and if Boyd's going to kind of take after Green and, and kind of have that mindset of, you know, one team is my goal and you know regardless of you know if i have a better chance to win elsewhere is boy gonna rep reciprocate those same emotions because clearly the Bengals need him clearly he works so well the green in that sense true and on the line we've got another call uh it's aaron i believe from cincinnati aaron how are you I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? I'm doing. We're 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 hanging in there. We're hanging in there. We're what? Doing, we're, we're doing what we can. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was uh, just calling. I want to give my input on um, the the quarterback situation that you guys talked about because that you know last thing we talked about. Um, I know that none of the teammates would say this. They'll never want to throw their quarterback on buses. You know, most of our guys are too much for contact. But if you watch how these guys respond to having Andy Dalton back there, like. He, he doesn't drive these guys. Like, it, 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 it's, it's obvious from, like, from the time, like, uh, the game before this, when 
Joe Mixon is flagging him, telling him to throw the ball because he's wide open in the end zone. And when he calls the timeout, you just see it take something out of Joe Mixon. The guy's a high energy guy. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's a, you can tell he's a rhythm guy. You know, uh, in his last game, and he overthrows all the tape in the end zone uh, with that trade pass there. And you look over, pan over to AJ Green, he's even crazy. He's not even on the field. You know, yeah. and he's normally a pretty point dude. So when he's going, you know, when you see the energy that these guys are getting from him and then how he completely turns when you just get some new blood in there, I think it's really hard to argue about if it's time to move on from Dalton. You know, like, we know what he is. He requires too much to be successful. And we, this franchise, not the right franchise, will never give him everything he needs because that starts at the top. Yeah. that better ownership, you know, maybe we'd be more successful. Yeah. You know? Uh, so that's how I feel about that guy. Yeah. But um, as far as uh, I also had a couple questions, or I like, just want to see what you got to take with on Marvin Lewis's ability to like scout or recognize what talent he has. Because um, I don't know if you guys are watching it. Maybe it's just you know I was desperate for anything exciting to watch that game. But you know he was talking. He was dogging all the tape. You know, that whole week prior to, and then all Tate comes in and he's like, even catch, even his misses were pregnant. You know, like, like they gave me, I'm like, oh my God, this guy's turning. Like, even if you did the incomplete pass, I'm like, God, he, he almost, he was this close from, from making that, you know, catch here and there, and you're going to tell me that he's not better than Cody Corn? Like, I, I'm absolutely mind blown. Like, it, and it, it makes me question other things, like, if you got this guy sitting on the bench and you say he's not better than Cody Cord, then I'm wondering, like, you're saying Lee Jefferson's not better than Harvey Anderson? Like, what? Like, you know, yeah. I just, I have so many questions. I, but I want to see you guys take on that. Um, I don't know if John can hear me, but if you could, let me know that uh, I reacted to my Twitter. No, you were, we're, we're listening to you, man. We're oh, listening to you, man. My ears are wide open right now. Yeah, you, uh, <laughs> you, you're, you're striking a chord here. We. Uh, well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, I, I, I appreciate it, Aaron. Yeah, I appreciate it, Aaron. We're going to take your question off the air here. Appreciate you calling in. Be a regular if you can, and uh, good to hear from you. Thank you. Good points. John, um, and, and I apologize that we had a couple more calls when we were talking to Aaron there, so I apologize we couldn't get to those. But um, Really good points, and it's, I mean, it's stuff we've kind of talked about a little bit, but not specifically out in Tate and the comments and all of that, but it goes back to, yeah, player evaluation, but it also goes back to a little bit of Marvin Lewis being this old school guy and practicing the right way and bide your time behind veterans and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's something that is – worthy of that designation, I guess. And other times it is completely a detriment to the team. Yeah. And if you bring in a new coach, I guarantee you, he would, you, you would see a difference in, you know, when to get guys into the field and whatnot. I just wanted, I just wanted to uh, just briefly uh, talk about another point from Aaron and how, you know, the Bengals have to like, you know, if they want to be successful with Dalton, they have to bring in all this talent, and in order, the only way that they want to do that is with the draft. So, in a sense, with Dalton to succeed, they have to get extremely lucky. And that 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 
and they almost had that in 2015. Then Dolan got injured, and then their whole season got derailed. So I, I, I think that's I think that's something that we all kind of recognize now. That as, when you're building around a limited quarterback, and you don't want to use the tools and free agency to kind of build around the quarterback who's not going to pay that much, you just got to get lucky. And I, I, I think at this point, many fans are just starting to realize why not just try to go for that guy that can transcend the limited talent on the roster to kind of take you to that next top instead of you know continuing to rely on someone who can't really carry the load. Yeah, and and the team thought they had that, and to a certain extent, he was that guy in Carson Palmer for for a little bit. Um, and then, unfortunately, you know, some injuries and other things, he, he wasn't, you know, Peyton Manning or something worthy of that number one overall pick, but he was a guy that uh, was, was pretty dang good, and then the team kind of let him down, and if you watch that, a football life special on him, he kind of talked about basically how he had enough of the team just kind of not doing what they needed to do uh, to make, you know, make proper changes and whatnot to, uh, you know, become a winner. We have another, we have another caller here. Um, it's Andrew from Cincinnati. And then uh, we, we might try and get out of here. We, <laughs> we had a dry spell of, of phone calls the past couple of episodes, and now we've got a bunch of them. So uh, Andrew, are you with us? Yeah. Hey, hey man. Doing? Uh, doing all right. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm just driving home. All right. Crying in my car about the injury <laughs> but I just wanted to come on and voice my frustration about uh, fans that act like they have it harder than players. I've been uh, on Twitter a lot lately, trying to reply to fans. Um, not reply, just respond to people on Twitter, acting like their life is so much harder than a player's. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts and John's thoughts on that. Well. In in what can you can you give us just a, a quick example of what no, you're referring like, to? Yeah, like, yeah, like an example. There was a video of John Ron. John yeah. Ron's response. I think a a news posted, and a lot of fans were saying in the comments how, "Oh, we'll try being a fan for 20 years." And my defense to that is, they poured their lives into this. Like they do this for a living. They're at the pinnacle of their careers, or pinnacle of, of what they're able to do. Like they're not in. Uh, arena football and the NFL, so I, I don't think that we have it harder than the players. But I just wanted to, to defend the, the Bengals players in that. Well, yeah, I, I appreciate that, and we're gonna we're gonna take your question off the air, Andrew. I appreciate you calling in, and, and yes, that's the John Ross thing is actually where I was was gonna point to that excellent question, um, John. I'm gonna say this, uh, I. I have seen or interacted with former professional athletes who either themselves or they have corroborated tales of people in the locker room completely being paycheck player type of guys where they do not, they do not care about the success of the team. And these are largely guys who bounce around from team to team. These are guys who um, have been around for a while and they're guys that you could probably guess based on their personality, if they've been in off-field trouble, whatever. You can probably guess some of these guys. But there, I, I love that Andrew brought up the John Ross thing because if he wasn't going to give a specific example or that example, that's where I was going to go. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, I think it's either Brandon Seho or Jeremy Rausch uh, who posted I, – I can't remember exactly who it was on Twitter, but one of the local Cincinnati media guys posted a, a locker room clip, a post-game clip of John Ross that I thought was very interesting – Saying that, yeah, it sucks for not. Here's the thing: 
to me, John, and I want to get your take. I, I'm, I'm hogging the mic here, but yes, for fans, it stinks to watch the team lose and watch the team lose year after year and not take the next step. But not the thing that struck me about Ross's comments was not only does it stink as a player, you put in this work and it's the physical work, it's the mental work, and you're doing this, you know, five to seven days a week, depending. Um, it also, he mentioned the fact that they feel it for the fans. Yeah. They, they, they feel that the onus is on them, that they owe it to the fans to play well, to put a good product on the field, et cetera. Yeah. And to, for starters, the, the, this is this is like the main issue with sports fandom in general. It just makes people crazy. It gives them these crazy perceptions about themselves. It 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 gives them this this entitlement of their own ownership in the team. It's it's all ridiculous, and I hate everything about that and everything that stands for. But I think what those fans and and on those Twitter threads are always missing is that for some players, football wasn't like it, it wasn't a choice for the play. It's like I have to be successful at this because if I don't. That my family isn't going to be able to pay, to pay off their home. They're going to go on welfare. Like, like this is this is the avenue that God put me on this earth to do to provide for my family. And that's always why some players are going to be more prioritizing over just staying healthy, getting the next paycheck, making sure it goes back to mom. And that's why players are so relying on college scholarships and just you know preserving their God given abilities to make sure th that this dream comes true because it's so important to them. And for other players, you know, who, you know, for the AJ Greens of the side, uh, on the side of things where, you know, they're, they're a little bit more, you know, properly set up and they have more, you know, you know, humble, you know, goals of team aspirations and wanting to win for the fans and all stuff. But every player is different and every, you know, certain aspirations of why they're playing the game is different. But in the end, you know, they're the ones on the field playing in front of millions of people. And if they lose, they're going to get hate for it. Whereas you and me, we we'll go back to our daily lives, like you know, and worry about more important things. This is just a one day affair for us as fans, just watching the team. These guys, they dedicate, like you said, their entire life, their entire bodies, and their careers, potentially a, a decent amount of their lives after the game to do this because they love it, and they get you know, and they they can get hate for not you know putting up enough fantasy points or for not going to the playoffs a, a, after a few years of you know going there consecutively and it, it's just it's just not comparable compared to when you're looking at players and fans hardships when a team struggles because these guys live it and breathe it and they have to you know suffer what we all say you know you know to, uh, about their struggles and they kind of have to absorb and go with emotions and how they respond and you know absorb that it's kind of up to them but it, it's just i perf i completely agree with andrew it's, it's a stance that I'd be willing to talk about for an hour if I needed to, but just to end with that, like it's not comparable. Get off your soapbox. You're not in a worse position than the than the player when it comes to team success. Yeah, and you know, imagine most of us work either nine to fives and or uh, for for you and I, we work on the site and we work on this podcast and all that stuff. And I can tell you, you know, when we when we write something up on Cincy Jungle and maybe people don't agree and especially this time of year when the Bengals are losing, people get real testy in the comments section of stuff. Um, and they're easy to credit. They, they are 
quick to criticize our writings and our opinions on on certain things when it regard when it regarding the Bengals. I can tell you that's that kind of get you're like ah you know that kind of gets under your skin a little bit. I, just imagine on your own home field, sixty five thousand people booing you uh, into the halftime tunnel. Uh, so, I mean, you're doing your job and in the middle of your job, if you or people, not even you, if other people you're working with are not doing well, 60,000 people are booing you. Um, I mean, that, that's kind of what, what comes with this. Now, granted, they get paid a lot more than 97% of the world, but you know, I mean, that, that's not an easy thing to deal with. I want to, I want to end with this and, and I want to get your opinion, John. Cincinnati fans, especially Bengals fans, are can be quite cynical and quite brutal to the Bengals. There's a lot of reasons why, and a lot of them are right. And this is kind of playing into a little bit of Andrew's opinion here. Do you buy into the fact that when this team isn't doing well in a particular game or a particular stretch of games, and they're on their home turf, and fans boo them off the field into the halftime tunnel. Do you think that that goes into the player's psyche? Um, or do you think it's just kind of like, uh, whatever, these people are never going to be happy. And, and it build it kind of, can that stuff snowball on them? And, and do they buy into that? Oh, here we go again type of thing. Or do you think it's just kind of like, uh, whatever they tune it out. I think it just depends on the player, to be honest with you. Like for a guy like perfect, you know, who's, plays with such emotion you know at least at least he used to or especially Mixon, who's you know more of a younger guy and not used to you know playing in oklahoma he's not used to losing that much i think for those specific guys it kind of gets to them and kind of rallies them to do a little bit better but again you know there are some players who are just you know you know they they give it their all because they're part of the team but at the end of the day you know that 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 next paycheck that that next contract is is on their minds because because you know they, they feel obliged to provide and that that's fine. That's perfectly reasonable. And and if they don't, you know, ab- absorb, you know, that that fan criticism in the way that fans want them to, in, ter- in terms of you know, rile them up and get them to play better, and then 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 that's whatever. You know, it, it's completely up to the players and about, about how they take it. Personally, you know, I, I haven't really been, I haven't been to a Bengals game in like three years, and I, I you know, I, obviously when I was there, you know, I experienced you know, people boot all the time and whatever. But you know, like like booing. I mean, it's, it's, it's just, I wouldn't do it because it, you, it, there's just a certain perspective that you kind of have to have when you're watching these professional athletes, you know, sacrifice their bodies for, for your entertainment. And that kind of goes back to like the entitlement that fans kind of have, you know, when they feel like they're, they're a part of the team, whatever. And they, they may feel like, you know, they're booing because they care and they want them to do better. But at the same time, yeah, I can probably definitely you know, mentally damage a player in terms of, you know, especially like a guy like a boy here, someone who just constantly struggles and knows that most of those boosts are for him and it might, you know, break them down, make them worse, or it could build them up and make them better. It, it really kind of just depends on the player, I think. Yep. Such is the vicious cycle with the Cincinnati Bengals and their fans, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, thanks to to the callers. I, we had a couple more. I apologize. We couldn't get to them. Both time constraints and, and having some other calls just couldn't allow us to do it. But call us next week. Call us in future episodes. We want to we wanna have you back. And we want to thank you for still tuning into the, the program, still downloading the program, even though the season has not been going very well over the past couple of past couple of uh 
weeks or months really with 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 this team um started off so promising and then you know whatever you mentioned just ironically john you mentioned uh the last game you went to was a couple of years ago same with me at least in cincinnati the last game i went to ironically was the home opener against the broncos uh, hey. yeah so uh and then now uh Gosh, I guess it would be next, not this Sunday, but next. I've got tickets to go to the Chargers Bengals game in LA, and yeah, yeah, actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually debating if I'm going to sell those or not. I, I can imagine a Rivers jersey is that expensive. You know, you can cop one. Yeah, well, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, my brother, my poor brother, he he bought like six tickets to this thing. Uh, he spent a small fortune to this game, taking all his kids and stuff, and. Uh, I mean, the, I mean, the Chargers aren't that uh, not used to you know having the having their home crowd kind of taken over by opposing fans. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Uh, I'll have to let you guys know how that how that goes. But thanks to everyone who called in and to uh, those who submitted questions. We had a bunch. We just couldn't get to all of them this week. We'll try and get to more next week. Um, very, very grateful uh, for the for the interest uh, it, that, that our listeners are showing. And you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Art19, at CincyJungle.com, and, uh, and on YouTube. And join us live every week if you can. Any <laughs> final thoughts, John, before we get out of here? Just another quick shout-out. I was getting Chipotle today, and um, I was being rung out. And I gave the guy my card, and he said, hey, aren't you on a podcast? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm about the bangles. Yeah, I watched that. Unfortunately, I did not ask for your name, but I did see your name on the receipt. Jeffrey, who works at Chipotle, uh, big shout out to you for either watching live or um, watching in the car, like Andrew, or however you watch it. Big shout out to you for checking out the podcast and you know saying hi to me on the street. Uh, to, again, if you guys see me, you know say hi. We'll talk about Bengals, and you get a shout out on the show. So shout out to Jeffrey. Dude, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta raise my game. You, you, I've got to raise my game. Nobody's pointing me out, at least not out here, dude. Uh, no, that's awesome. I'm glad that people uh, enjoy what we do, and um, we're, we're stoked to bring it to you every week. Thanks for tuning in. I don't really have any final thoughts. Uh, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for the calls and all of the interaction in the live YouTube chat. For John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Cazenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We'll see you next week, and there's probably going to be a lot more interesting topics to talk about then. See you next time. I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.